You're listening to Outlaws and Gunslingers, the only podcast covering all of America's infamous criminals, from the Wild West to the Mafia, all the way up to the ruthless street gangs of today. Brought to you exclusively by the Creative Control Network. Here are your hosts, the Mouthy Michiganders, Bang and Dang. Welcome back to Outlaws and Gunslingers with your host, Bang and Dang. Bang right here. Dang on my left side once again for this episode. And we are coming fresh off of O.J. Simpson trial, an epic three-parter. Didn't mean it for it to be a three-parter, but it happened to be a three-parter. And I think it worked out best that way, to be honest with you. We kind of left you hanging on uh, both episodes. So hopefully you guys came back and checked out all three of those. We are moving on as we always do, but... As uh, O.J. Simpson's trial and the murders were pretty gruesome, uh, I think we're about to top that one with this episode as we are covering the the San Ysidro McDonald's Massacre, which took place <laughs> July 18, 1984, when a 41-year-old James Huberty fatally shoots 21 people and wounds 19 others before being killed by a police sniper. And this whole ordeal lasted about 77 minutes after the first shot to when he was killed. At this time in 1984, it is the uh, deadliest mass shooting by a lone gunman in U.S. history. And it would be uh, eventually surpassed seven years later by the Luby's uh, little restaurant shooting. I think that's in Texas. Um, I'm sure we'll be covering that some way down the line. But, yeah, this one, I got to warn you, if you don't, if you guys don't like graphic details and children being killed, then don't listen to this or skip ahead past the... Uh, the uh, stuff, because this is about to get very gory details about what went on in that restaurant for 77 minutes. So, With that, Crazy. James Oliver Huberty was born October 11, 1942, and he obviously died on that uh, day of the shooting. He was born in Canton, Ohio. wonder if he ever visited the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame. That's irrelevant. The second of two children born to Earl Vincent, and a, who was a quality inspector in Eichel. Evelone Huberty, uh, she was a homemaker. Uh-huh. Both parents were devoutly religious, and the family were regular attendees at the local United Methodist churches. When Huberty was three years old, he contracted polio. Oh, okay. To minimize the debility of this ailment, he was required to wear steel and leather braces upon both legs. Oh, Think no. uh, Forrest Gump. Yeah. Uh, although Huberty made a progressive recovery from this ailment, he would be afflicted with a mild limp for the remainder of hey, his life. I'll take a mild limp. Hey, Legion Walk there, pal. Oh, ain't kidding. Oh, maybe actually, no, no. After what's about to happen, after what's about to happen in this episode, it's not a good thing. He should have, that polio should have struck his legs down. Right, damn it. 1950, Earl Huberty purchased a 155-acre farm in Mount Eaton. I still refuse to live in a rural location and refuse to even view the property. Jeez, what a bitch, dude. Right. Shortly thereafter, I still abandoned her family to perform sidewalk preaching. Jeez. At a Pentecostal, she wanted to be, right? She wanted to be in the city to uh, spread the word, I guess. Right. Uh, she wanted to do uh, sidewalk preaching at a Pentecostal missionary in Tucson. Wait, I thought they were uh, Methodist. She switched to Pentecostal? I guess. Here, he found his mother's abandonment emotionally devastating. His father would later recollect finding his son slumped against the family chicken coop, sobbing. I mean, understandably, your mother just left you guys. Huberty was a sullen child with few friends. Aren't they always? Whose primary interest was? 
target practice. Well, he did a damn good job at it. You ain't kidding. Which would be uh, evident here. A family acquaintance would later describe him as a queer little boy who practiced incessantly with a target pistol. By his teens, Huberty was something of an amateur gunsmith. Due to his limp, his family's extreme religious beliefs, and his reluctance to socialize with his peers, he was frequently targeted by bullies at Waynedale High School. Oh, jeez. An average scholar, he graduated 51st out of a 77 class, uh, graduating class in 1960. In 62, he enrolled at Malone College, where he initially studied sociology before opting to study at the Pittsburgh Institute of Mortuary Science oh, in geez. Pittsburgh. Oh, so he's interested in dead people already. Right. He graduated with honors from this institute in 1964, being issued with a funerals director's license and the following year an embalmer's license. Okay. So he's got the whole thing. You can open his undertaker here. He can he can uh, open his own little little shindig if he wants. The real life undertaker who actually murdered people. Early 1965, Huberty married Etna Marklin, who he had met while attending Malone College. Shortly after his marriage, Huberty obtained employment at a funeral home in Canton. The Ohio boys. Mm-hmm. Although proficient at embalming, Huberty's introverted personality made him ill-suited to dealing with members of the public. Yeah, well, I mean that's ah. a thing, a uh, big thing you got to be when you're one of those guys, right? Causing minor conflicts with the superiors. Wow. Nonetheless, Huberty worked in this profession for two years before opting to become a welder. He goes, "I'm gonna go to uh, Louisville and be a welder." It's a hell of a change, right? He worked for this firm for two years. Before securing a better pay position at Babcock and Wilcox in June of 1969. Oh, good for him, I guess, right? Although reclusive and he didn't ever talk to nobody, Huberty's employers considered him a reliable worker. Nice. He willingly took overtime, earned promotions, and by the mid 70s, regularly earned between 25 and 30 thousand per Dang. year, which means uh, about 121 to 145 thousand in uh, today's money. So, damn, wow. he was balling back balling. then. Balling. Shortly after Huberty was hired by this firm, he, he and his wife moved into a three-story home in an affluent section of Massillon, Ohio. Hell yeah, they were like, moving on up to Massillon. Finally got a piece of the welding pie. In the winter of 1971, this <laughs> home was destroyed in fire. Oh, jeez. Fire. Shortly thereafter. We're moving on down. <laughs> down the street. <laughs> Shortly thereafter, James and Etna bought another house on the same street. They later built a six-unit apartment building on the grounds of the first home, which they managed. Oh, damn, look at these guys. Dude. Right. Daughters Zelia and Cassandra were born in 1972 and 1974, respectively. Man, so these guys had it going for them there, huh? But as it usually happens, old Huberty had a history of domestic violence, frequently slapping or punching his daughters, oh, holding knives through their throats. <laughs> Or beating his wife. Oh, shit. On one occasion, Etna filed a report with the Canton Department of Children and Family Services stating that her husband had, quote-unquote, messed up her jaw. Messed up my jaw. Messed up my jaw. Although she later insisted on the majority of occasions he had assaulted her. He he struck her only one time in this. Uh, He only hit me once. Beginning in 1976, the uh, bicentennial... It was a big year for America. Right. Etna repeatedly attempted to persuade her husband to seek counseling to alleviate his sources of stress, although he refused to seek any form of therapy whatsoever. Of He's course. like, I don't need that. I'm a man. I'm a man. Man's man. In personal efforts to pacify her husband's temper, anxiety, and general paranoia, and both to influence and control his behavior, Etna took great efforts to minimize any possibility of agitating her husband. I bet she did. Eggshells, thin ice, mm-hmm. whatever you want to do. 
She also gradually developed a mechanism whereby she claimed to be able to read his future by reading playing or tarot cards. Yeah, she's a tarot card. And, of course, Hubert, he believed her. Of course, obviously. Edna's reading would produce a temporary calming effect, and Hubert would typically follow the recommendations his wife made in these readings. So she's she's busting out these cards, and uh, she's saying what she wants him to do, right. pretty much. What, what or, I how, need. To, how do you oh, need to feel? You just need to sit down and relax right. and watch TV, or you need to go take a walk or something like that. She's manipulating him through these cards, right. pretty much, right? right? I mean, I guess if it keeps uh, him from beating the shit out of her. Uh, to his neighbors and co-workers, Huberty was perceived as a sullen, ill-tempered, and somewhat paranoid individual, obsessed with firearms, and who harbored a mentally and who harbored a mental tally of every setback, insult, or general source of frustration, real or perceived, mm. against himself or his family within his mind. That reminds me of um, Howard Unruh, right, in the Death Walk uh, episode we did, where he he made a mental note and wrote it down. Everybody that talk shit about him and that's who we went and got right <sighs> these guys man occasionally yeah. Huberty would retaliate in response to any real or perceived injustice in an effort to settle what he termed quote unquote my debts and conflicts with his neighbors would once lead to his detainment on charges of disorderly conduct oh. so he was known in the neighborhood to get a little rowdy rowdy a little bit rowdy, huh? rowdy. on one occasion he is known to have informed the father of two girls whom he had encouraged his daughters to fight in response to a conflict between the children he says, I believe in paying my debts, both good and bad. Damn. Conspiracy theorist and self-proclaimed survivalist, Hubert, he believed an escalation of the Cold War was inevitable and that President Jimmy Carter and later Ronald Reagan and the United States government were conspiring against him. This is a, this is a classic. Him. They're like, all, all, out of everybody, they're, they're conspiring against me. It doesn't say, but I'm willing to bet all he did was watch news and read news and right. read all that shit. So this is a classic case of political environment brainwashing people dude that uh, who would who would walk around and be like the president of the united states is conspiring against me you gotta be really freaked in the head oh man uh he was convinced of an imminent increase in soviet aggression he would believe that a breakdown of society was fast approaching perhaps through economic collapse or nuclear war hey bud you're only about 30 35 years too late <laughs> right or too soon i guess yeah right. you're too soon you, you're predicting everything that's happening now um, he committed himself to prepare to survive this perceived collapse and provisioned his house with ample reserve supplies of non-perishable food and numerous guns, of course, some purchased from co-workers. Also, co-workers were just selling him guns. He intended to use to defend his home during what he believed was the coming apocalypse. apocalypse. According to one family acquaintance named Jim Aslane's, Huberty home was littered with loaded firearms to such a degree that wherever Huberty was sitting or standing within his home, he could just reach over and get a gun. Uh, Each firearm was loaded with the safety catch disabled. So oh, everything's everything's just ready to roll, huh? It, you know how they say you're never more than like five feet from a spider or something like that? You're <laughs> never more than, Huberty was never more than five feet from a gun. Yeah. <laughs> She's OP. November 1982. Huberty was laid off from his wedding. Oh, from there his we wedding, go. From his wedding job. <laughs> in 1982, Huberty was laid off from his welding job at Babcock and Wilcox. Isn't that how it always starts? Causing him to become despondent over his dire financial situation and general inability to provide for his family. Yeah, this dude was making equivalent to 100 grand right. a year. He's like, all uh, of a sudden got nothing? Right. One, one co-worker would later say, upon being notified of impending closure of his of this engineering firm, Huberty had made a comment indicating that if he was unable to provide for his family, he intended to commit suicide and take everybody with him. Hmm. 
Of course, these comments don't come out until after the fact. Right. According to Etna, shortly after her husband became unemployed, Huberty began hearing voices. Oh, jeez. In early 1983, he placed a loaded pistol against his temple, threatening to commit suicide. Etna successfully dissuaded her husband from shooting himself, although he later remarked to her, quote-unquote, you should have let me shoot myself. Unable to find lasting employment in Ohio, James and Etna sold their six-unit apartment building for 115 grand in the spring of 1983. Made a little bit of cheese, huh? Right. Shortly thereafter, Huberty attained alternate welding employment with Union Metal Manufacturing Company. All right, there you go, bud. See, man, you just right. gotta, that all worked out man, for now. Figure it out. Take a look at what's going on. You got the experience. Just don't be a freaking weirdo, man. Be a normal human right. being. This employment lasted five weeks <laughs> before the closure of the plant. Oh, oh geez. geez. Why would they hire anybody when right. we're only going to be open for five weeks? <laughs> weeks after he became unemployed, Huberty and one of his daughters were injured in a traffic accident. Uh-oh. In the weeks following his accident, Huberty noted an aggravation in neck pains he had endured since childhood. Oh, so oh, it Jesus. triggered something that uh, he already had, huh? All right. He also noted an occasional increasing nerve tremor in his hands and arms. Uh-oh. In the summer of 1983, the Huberties applied for residency in New Me- in Mexico. Not in Mexico. In Mexico. Mexico. Going down to old Mexico. Believing the money obtained from the sale of their apartment building would financially sustain the family longer in Mexico than in America. True. Is, yes. Um, What is this? This is in the 80s. Ooh. I worked at Taco Bell in the early 2000s, and they were doing a uh, giveaway for a million pesos, which equaled 93,000 American dollars. So back in this day, he would have had 112, whatever he sold his apartment for. He would have probably had close to three, four million pesos. He could have lived like a king down there. King. 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 Well, they also just sold their home for 12,000 in cash in September of that year. Uh, and the buyer assumed their $48,000 mortgage. So really, they sold it for, what, $40,000, $60,000. So good for them. Yeah. Huberty informed family acquaintances of his intentions to relocate his family to Tijuana, Tijuana in search of employment opportunities, confidently stating, we're going to show them who's boss down there in Mexico. Right. When Huberty and his family moved from Ohio to Tijuana in October 1983, he left all but the most essential of his family's possessions in storage in Ohio, but ensured he brought his huge collection of guns, ammunition, and survival supplies with him. Right. They let him go down there with his guns and ammunition crossing the border. Ooh, right. I, don't know I, mean, that I guess if he's a model citizen, he's, he's moving to Mexico. They got to let him, right? I don't know. Mexico don't have no fucking gun laws in uh, 1984. They might. According to published reports, Huberty's wife and daughters embraced their new uh, living scenario, mm. became friendly with their neighbors, although Huberty, who spoke little Spanish, kept to himself, right? <laughs> Didn't really talk to nobody. Just like he did at his job. He didn't talk to nobody. Unable to find any work in Tijuana, Huberty quickly regretted his decision to relocate to Mexico. That's, that's, did he, uh, come on, you can't find work in Mexico? Why didn't you just go, I guess you couldn't just go there. What? And and check it out. Why could you have? He had the money, they had the money to go on a vacay. Right, he got up went over there and checked it out. That would have been less expensive than packing up and moving your old damn family. Right. And then we're like, oh, I guess uh, this ain't the right time. Yeah, now we have literally no money for United States living, so let's go back. <laughs> that was like in the Wild West when you show up to a, a railroad or a mining town too late. Right. Damn, that railroad's been down the line for yeah. a time. That none. mine been dry. Ain't none here for you. Mm-mm. Within three months, the family relocated to San Ysidro, a largely poor district of San Diego just north of the U.S.-Mexico border. 
which in 1984 had a population of 13,000 people. 13,000, so nobody there. Dude. In San, Ye- in San Ysidro. Ysidro, right? Well, while there in San Ysidro, the Huberties rented an apartment within the Cottonwood Apartments as Huberty sought employment. In fact, his family were the only Anglo-Americans within this apartment complex irritated Huberty, Uh-oh. who was notably ignorant to his neighbors. Why? They're on Mexico. Right. Shortly thereafter, Huberty applied to a newspaper advertisement offering uh, a security guard training in a federally funded program. He completed this course on April 12th and soon obtained employment with a security firm in Chula Vista. And he was assigned to uh, garden a condominium complex. Okay. So he's got a job. Right. He got a job quicker and... Uh, you get to feel like a badass right. walking the grounds. And you got guns, I'm sure. And you're allowed to carry a gun. That. Why wouldn't you? Security you're guard. Security. Yeah. Well, anyway, the money earned enabled the family to have their furniture shipped from Ohio. And the family relocated to a two-bedroom apartment on Avro Road that very same month. The monthly rent for this apartment was $450. They must have been living in a damn good apartment for $450, 450 in 1984, dude. Right. That's like probably a lot. That's about a $1,200 a month nowadays. Maybe way more than that. 10th of July, Huberty was summarily dismissed from this job. Poor guy, huh? And employers informed Huberty the reasons for his dismissal were his poor work performance and a noted general physical instability. Oh, jeez. His limp. Now his eagle. Why are they hiring him knowing he had a limp and all that? Now they're... Was he lazy? Well, he passed the camera. I mean, just I mean chilling? He, he passed the test though, so they <laughs> he, they didn't know until they got employed, and then they're like, "Yeah, this guy's not doing so good." Right. Well, on July fifteenth, nineteen eighty four, James Huberty commented to his wife that he suspected he had a mental health problem. Well, at least he's recognizing it. Yeah. Two days later, on the morning of July seventeenth, he called a San Diego mental health clinic requesting an appointment. Leaving his contact details with the receptionist, he was assured the clinic would return his call within hours. Did they? According to his wife, he sat quietly beside the telephone for several hours awaiting the return call before abruptly walking out of the family home and riding to an unknown destination on his motorcycle. Dang. So he was wait- he was anxiously waiting for that uh, call to, like, dude, I need an appointment. Something's wrong with me. Nobody called him. <laughs> well, unbeknownst, unbeknownst to Huberty, the receptionist had misspelled his name as Schuberty. <laughs> <laughs> Shuberty, Huberty, Shuberty. His what play. a moron! How you Huberty? And there's not even James. Oh, uh, he could have been like James Shuberty. James Shuberty. My name's James Shuberty. Right. <laughs> right. 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 If you're a good receptionist, I mean, you got to be like, how do you spell your last name? It, oh, I guess right. But his name ends with an S, so it's highly plausible. I could see where it could mm. where it could happen. <laughs> James Shuberty. <laughs> James Shuberty. His polite demeanor conveyed no sense of urgency to the operator. And he also, had, he didn't call him like, I'm freaking freaking out, man. Right. I need help. Right. And he had elaborated in the phone call that he had never been house- hospitalized for mental issues before. Thereafter, the call had been logged as a non-crisis inquiry. Wow. To be handed within 48 hours. I mean, hey. I guess to, uh, that, that's your guys. Anybody listening to this has mental health problems, God forbid. Um you get through a hotline, you better act like you're crazy in dire need of assistance right now. Well, don't. Right? So I ain't going to call your ass back for right. two days. Right. Well, approximately one hour later, Huberty returned home in a contented mood. After eating dinner, Huberty, his wife, and their daughters, aged 12 and 10, cycled to a nearby park. Oh, oh look, look at that. that. On bikes. And right. The, I mean, that's perfect. Later that evening, he and Etno watched a film together on their television. Good for them. Well, where else are they going to watch? Well. That following morning, which happens to be the morning or the day of the murders, Wednesday, July 18th, 
Huberty, his wife and children, visited the San Diego Zoo. Oh, look at that. This dude had a full day, didn't he? Right. Dang. <laughs> I mean, it's messed up to laugh. This dude had a, he put in a full day. <laughs> in their course, in the course of their walk through the zoo, he told his wife of his belief that his life was effectively over. Uh-oh. Referring to mental health clinic's failure to return his phone call the previous day, he said, well, society had their chance. It's true. Ironically... After eating lunch at McDonald's in uh, Claremont neighborhood of San Diego, the Huberty family returned home. So this dude even had McDonald's the day of. The and we're going to find out shortly that that was his favorite uh, restaurant as well. well the hotline so. should have called back. Right. Or he should have called the hotline back. No, he's not a beggar. Right. Why would you not call him back? All right. Come on. The following morning, Wednesday, no. July 18th. Shortly thereafter, Huberty walked into his bedroom wearing a maroon t-shirt and green camouflage slacks as his wife lay relaxing upon their bed. He leaned toward Etna and said, I want to kiss you goodbye. Etna kissed her husband, then asked him where he was going, stating her intention to soon prepare the family dinner. Where are you going? Dinner's going to be done soon. I'm about to make make beefaroni on the stove. I don't know why they're southern and they're from freaking Ohio. Well, that's about the next line. Makes it. Huberty calmly replied, I'm going hunting. Hunting Hunting for for humans. humans. (laughs) And she just let him go. And his wife didn't think to get up and be like, no. Okay. Or at least as soon as he shut the door, you call the cops and said, my husband said he's going hunting for humans. Bring me back smokes and Newport (laughs) and then uh, uh, Pepsi on the way back, honey. (laughs) Oh, we need sugar, too. Oh, jeez. Like and and, and not only this, holding a gun across his shoulder and carrying right. a box of ammo and a bundled this and a, a bundle wrapped in a checkered blanket. This is a freaking Duff Lundgren movie. Right. And she's like, where are you going? I'm going to hunt hunt. the humans. <laughs> he was holding a gun across his shoulder, carrying a box of ammo. Huberty glanced did he get towards a motorcycle his... and go to the place where he needed to. I hope so. He did have a motorcycle. I don't think he took his motorcycle I though. Hope he did. I don't think he took his motorcycle, though. (laughs) But he glanced towards his elder daughter, Zalia, as he walked toward the front door of the family home and said, Goodbye, I won't be back. That's a pretty shitty uh, exit to your daughter. Wait, how is the wife just allowing all that? That's what I'm saying. She's probably better to be like, let's let this dude go or he's going to murder her. Well, she already beat the shit. Right. He's like, as long as we're I'm surprised that they didn't get murdered, to be honest. Huberty then drove down San Ysidro Boulevard. According to eyewitnesses, he drove first toward a Big Bear supermarket and then toward a U.S. post office branch before entering the parking lot of a McDonald's restaurant approximately 200 yards from his Averill Road apartment. So oh, he's geez. just down the road, dude. He's right down the damn road. Down the road. He didn't. Jeez. Jeez. Approximately 3.56 p.m. on the 18th of July, Huberty drove his black Mercury Marquis sedan into the parking lot of the McDonald's restaurant in San Ysidro Boulevard. In his possession were a 9mm Browning HP semi-automatic pistol, 9mm mm-hmm. Uzi carbine, Jeez. a Winchester 1200 12-gauge uh, pump action shotgun, Jeez. why that much? A box and a cloth bag filled with hundreds of rounds of ammo for each weapon. Jeez. A total of 45 customers were present inside the restaurant <sighs> at the time. And that's uh, 45 humans he hunted. Not even hunting. That's not even hunting. That's <laughs> cheating. Um, if you guys are squeamish or don't like graphic details of people getting murdered and killed, murdered. and especially children, then uh, this would be the part not to continue. But this is where the massacre starts and shit 
is not pretty from here on out. So, enter the restaurant minutes later, Huberty first aimed a shotgun at a 16-year-old employee named John Arnold from a distance of approximately 15 feet. As he did so, the assistant manager, Guillermo Flores, shouted, Hey, John, that guy's going to shoot you. Oh, jeez. According to Arnold, when Huberty pulled the trigger, nothing happened. Oh, shit. As Huberty inspected his gun, the manager of the restaurant, 22-year-old Neva Kane, walked toward the service counter of the restaurant in the direction of Arnold. As Arnold, who believed the incident to be a dis- distasteful joke, began to walk away from the gunman. What? So uh, immediately his gun jammed, and everybody they was do like, "Always jokes like this all the time." In that, in but that the guy had clearly had a but the guy clearly had a gun. So how would you think it's a distasteful joke? Well, maybe they're that type of sixteen-year-old group kids. I, mean, I guess eighties are always playing jokes uh, with guns. Somebody's gonna come. Oh, you got the guy's gonna shoot you. I mean, mass shootings weren't really a thing in the day, so right. nobody was concerned about it. It is true. Like he didn't see the gun. I don't understand. Huberty fired a shotgun toward the ceiling before aiming in the Uzi at Kane, shooting her once beneath her left eye. Oh, jeez. Oh. Kane died minutes later, obviously. Immediately after shooting Kane, Huberty fired a shotgun at Arnold, wounding the teenager in the chest and arm, before shouting a comment to the effect of everybody on the ground. Huberty then referred to all the present in the restaurant as dirty swine, Vietnam assholes. Before claiming that he had killed a thousand and that he intended to kill a thousand more. Upon hearing Huberty's profane rant and seeing Kane and Arnold shot, one customer, 25-year-old Victor Rivera, tried to persuade Huberty not to shoot anyone else. In response, Huberty shot Rivera 14 times. Holy shit. Repeatedly shouting, shut up, as Rivera screamed in pain. As staff and customers tried to hide beneath tables and service booths, Huberty turned his attention towards six women and children huddled together. Oh. He then first killed 19-year-old Maria Comanero Silva with a single gunshot to the chest, then fatally shot 9-year-old Claudia Perez in the stomach, cheek, thigh, hip, leg, chest, back, Holy armpit, shit. and head with his Uzi. It's a 9-year-old freaking girl, dude. Jeez. What the hell is going nine-year-old on? 9-year-old girl and sh- 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 that hit her. Who knows how many times. This dude is just going nuts yeah. into a little booth, dude. He don't care. He then wounded Perez's 15-year-old sister, Imelda, once in the hand with the same weapon and fired upon 11-year-old Aurora Pena with his shotgun. Pena, initially wounded in the leg, had been shielded by her pregnant aunt, 18-year-old Jackie Reyes. Huber shot Reyes 48 times. Oh, jeez, dude. And that was just like, probably, right? Oh, dude. Beside his mother's body, eight-month-old Carlos Reyes sat up and wailed, whereupon Huberty, oh, oh, shot it at the child. Oh, Dang. Yelled at the child and then shot it with a pistol in the center of the back. Killed him. What a douchebag, this guy. I don't think they should have put the sniper on this guy. Screw that shit. That's an easy out. Well, we'll see. We'll see some shit's messed up even with the cop response that we're about to learn here. Uh, Huberty then shot and killed a 62-year-old trucker named Lawrence Lewis before targeting a family seated near the play area of the restaurant who had tried to shield their son and his friend beneath the tables with their bodies. 31-year-old Blythe Reagan Herrera had shielded her 11-year-old son Mateo beneath one booth as her husband Ronald protected Mateo's friend, 12-year-old Keith Thomas, beneath the booth directly across from them. Ronald Herrera urged Thomas not to move, shielding the boy with his body. Thomas was shot in the shoulder, arm, wrist, and left elbow, but was not seriously wounded. Ronald Herrera was shot six times in the stomach, chest, arm, hip, shoulder, and head, but survived. Wow. Wow. His wife, Blythe, 
and son Mateo were both killed by numerous gunshots to the head. Oh, my. numerous too. I mean, this dude. Nearby, three women had also wow. attempted to hide beneath a booth. Twenty-four-year-old Guadalupe Del Rio lay against a wall. She was shielded by her friends, twenty-five-year-old Gloria Ramirez and thirty-one-year-old Aris Delzi Volvez Vargas. Del Rio was hit several times, but not seriously wounded. Ramirez was unhurt, whereas Vargas received a single gunshot wound to the back of the head. She died of her wound the next day. The only person fatally wounded who lived long enough to reach a hospital. And she was shot in the back of the head, so, wow. At another booth, Huberty killed 45-year-old banker Hugo Velasquez Vasquez with a single shot to the chest. He's a piece. This dude just, I mean, they're sitting ducks, dude. They're all yeah. under the booths. That's all he's got to do is just walk up to them. Done. He's a piece. That's just ridiculous. And there's no way... You're not escaping. There's no way. First of many dudes, we already established right. he's an excellent uh, target shooter, so he's going to gun you down even if you're running, dude. I mean, nothing you could do. Only thing to do there is play if dead. Every, no, if everybody, no, because he was just shooting. If everybody just rushes to ask, yeah, few are going to get it. But few, right? Gonna, that's what I mean. But somebody's, you're going to get to him. Yeah, but there's a bunch of kids and stuff. I mean, yeah. nobody was thinking of that. First of many calls, emergency you gotta remember, was made. You got to remember, at 4 p.m. Uh, Mass shootings weren't popular back in this day, so people didn't know what the hell to do, dude. Right. They never experienced this shit before or even heard of it on the news. Right. That's crazy. The first of many calls to emergency service was made shortly after 4 p.m., notifying police of the shooting of a child who had been taken to a post office on <clears throat> San Ysidro Boulevard. The dispatcher mistakenly directed responded officers to another McDonald's two miles. Jeez, dude. Two miles away. And this is where the police incompetence begins right this here. This air delayed the imposition of a lockdown by several minutes. Yep. And the only warning civilians walking, riding, or driving toward the restaurant were given by passerbys. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Like, and we'll oh, see. And I'm going to go on at McDonald's. And we'll see. Uh, it didn't matter because shortly after 4 p.m., a young woman named Lydia Flores drove into the parking lot, stopping at the food pickup window. Flores noticed shattered windows and the sound of gunfire before... Quote, unquote, looking up, and there he was, just shooting. Oh, shit. Flores reversed her car until she crashed into a fence. She hid in some bushes with her two-year-old daughter until the shooting ended. Yeah, he wasn't leaving the building at that point. At approximately 4.05 p.m., a Mexican couple, Astolfo and Maricela Felix, drove toward one of the service areas of the restaurant. Why? They didn't know, man. Nobody nobody knows. You got a crash car in front. No, she's hiding in the in the thing. She was at the she was at the drive through. They drove up the front, so they probably couldn't even see her. Right. And knowing in the shattered laminated glass, Estoffel initially assumed renovation work was in progress, and that Huberty striding toward the car so was he, a repairman. Oh, so he came outside. Right. Huberty fired a shotgun and Uzi at the couple and the four month old daughter. Jeez. Carlita. Jeez. Striking Marciella. Maricela. 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 Maricela in the face, arms, and chest, blinding her in one eye and permanently rendering one hand unusable. Wow. Her baby was critically wounded in the neck, chest, and the abdomen. Jeez, oh, Pete. dude. Astolfo was wounded in the chest and head. As Astolfo and Maricela staggered away from Huberty's line of fire, Maricela gave the baby to her husband. Astolfo handed the shrieking child to a young woman named Lucia Velasco as his wife collapsed against a car. Velasco rushed the baby to a nearby hospital as her husband assisted Alstafo and Maricela into a nearby building. All three members of the Felix family survived. Really? Wow. Oh, shit. Nice. Well, unfortunately, three 11-year-old boys that uh, rolled their bikes into the West parking lot they were about to purchase Sundays, two of them weren't so lucky. Jeez, O.P. Hearing a member of the public yelling, 
something unintelligible from across the street. All three hesitated before Huberty shot the three boys with the shotgun and Uzi. Joshua Coleman fell to the ground, critically wounded in the back, arm, and leg. He later recalled looking toward his two friends, Omar Alonzo Hernandez and David Flores Delgado, noting that Hernandez was on the ground with multiple gunshot wounds to his back, had been started vomiting. He was just puking mm. everywhere. Delgado received several gunshot wounds to his head. Oh. Dude, that Uzi is just lethal, dude. Well, Coleman survived. Hernandez and Delgado both died at the scene. Yeah. Huberty next noticed an elderly couple, 74-year-old Miguel Victoria Yoloa and 69-year-old Ada Velasquez Victoria, walking toward the entrance. As Miguel reached to open the door for his wife, Huberty fired a shotgun, killing Ada with wow. a gunshot to the face and wounding Miguel. Oh, jeez. An uninjured survivor, Oscar Mondragon, later reported observing Miguel cradling his wife in his arms and wiping blood from her face, shouting curses at Huberty, who then approached the doorway, swore at Miguel, then killed him with a shot to the head. Jeez. Wow. This is some hills have ice. Uh, no, this is some uh, this is some deranged geez. mental freaking case. That's what this is. Wow. The incest isn't the cause of this. That's some uh, devil's reject shit right here. Mm-hmm. Man, approximately 10 minutes after first call had been placed to 911, police arrived at the correct McDonald's. 10 minutes, dude. The first officer on scene, Miguel Rosario... Reportedly determined the location and cause of the actual disturbance and relayed his information to the San Diego Police Department. As Hubert fired at Rosero's police car, officers deployed immediately and imposed a lockdown on an area spanning six blocks from the site of the shooting. About time. After what? Now five people are dead in the parking lot? Right. The police established a command post two blocks from the restaurant and deployed 175 officers in numerous strategic locations. These officers were joined within the hour by several SWAT team members who also took positions around the restaurant within the hour. Right. That's the key thing. They didn't even get there right away. As Huberty was firing rapidly and alternating between firearms, police initially were unaware how many individuals were inside the restaurant. At that point, he, he's just murdering people. You just need to go in. You just need to rush in that shit. Take it out. Yeah. Man, furthermore, because most of the restaurant's windows had been shattered by gunfire, reflections from shards of glass provided an additional difficulty for police focusing inside the restaurant. Initially, police were concerned that the gunmen or gunmen might be holding hostages. <clears throat> I don't think any hostages are being held when they're no. just being gunned down willfully. Right. Although one individual had escaped from the restaurant, informed police there was a single gunman present holding no hostages and shoot an individual he encountered. Exactly. And he's just shooting. Just shooting. What's he doing in there? Just shooting. There's one guy. 5.05 p.m. All responding law enforcement personnel were authorized to kill the perpetrator should they obtain a clear shot. Several survivors later reported observing Huberty walk toward the service counter and just a portable radio. They thought to search for news reports of a shooting spree, right. but he ended up selecting a music station and further shooting individuals as he danced to the music. Oh, my. Shortly thereafter, Huberty searched the kitchen area, discovering six employees and shouting, Oh, there's more. You're trying to hide from me? Oh, shit. Jeez, dude. Oh, man. In response, one of the female employees screamed in Spanish, don't kill me, don't kill me, before Huberty opened fire, killing the 21-year-old Paulina Lopez. 19-year-old Elsa Barbara Fierro, sorry if I said that wrong, and 18-year-old Margarita Padilla, sorry if I said that wrong, and critically wounded 17-year-old year old Albert Leos. Yeah. Jeez, oh, Pete. Immediately before Huberty had begun shooting, 
Padilla grabbed the hand of her friend and colleague, 17-year-old Wendy Flanagan, before the two began to run. Well, unfortunately for her, Padilla was then fatally shot. Flanagan, four other employees, and a female customer hid inside a basement utility room. They were later joined by Leo's, who had crawled to the utility room after being shot five times. Jeez. Oh, when a fire truck drove within range, Hubert opened fire and repeatedly pierced the vehicle with bullets, white, slightly wounding one occupant. Hearing a wounded teenager, 19-year-old Jose Perez moaning, Hubert shot him in the head. The boy slumped dead in the booth. Yeah, ain't moaning no more. Jeez, oh, Ree. Jeez, oh, Ree. Mm. Perez died alongside his friend and neighbor, 22-year-old Gloria Gonzalez and a young woman named Michelle Carncross. At one point, Aurora Pena, who had laid beside her dead aunt, baby cousin, and two friends, noted a low in the firing. Opening her eyes, she saw Huberty nearby, staring in her direction. Oh, oh no. you should never open your eyes, man. He swore. He threw a bag of french fries at Pena, then retrieved a shotgun and shot the child in the arm, neck, and jaw. Jeez. She survived, although she would remain hospitalized longer than any other survivor. Wow, jeez. What the mm. hell is going on here? At 5.17 p.m., Huberty walked from the service counter toward the doorway close to the drive-in window of the restaurant, affording a 27-year-old police SWAT sniper named Charles Foster. He was deployed to a strategic position on the roof of a post office directly opposite the restaurant, and he had an unobstructed view of his body from the neck down through his telescopic sight. Oh, jeez. Foster fired a single round from a range of approximately 35 yards. The bullet entered Huberty's chest, severed his aorta just beneath his heart, and exited through his spine, oh, leaving an exit wound one inch square. Jeez. Wow. And sending Huberty sprawling backwards onto the floor directly in front of the service counter, killing him almost instantly. Yeah, he's done. After shooting Huberty, Foster relayed to the responding officers he had killed the perpetrator and that his focus remained on the motionless suspect. Nonetheless, as so many rounds had been expended from the different firearms within the restaurant, Police were not completely certain the sole perpetrator was deceased. There have been many, many witnesses that told right. you there was only one guy. Entered the restaurant approximately one minute later. Wow. A police sergeant focused his gun upon Huberty as he noted the movements of a wounded girl. When asked if the deceased male was the suspect, the girl nodded, Yes, you stupid sons of bitches. Idiots. How many people yes. told you this already? Oh, my. Well, unfortunately, the entire incident had lasted for 77 minutes, during which time Huberty fired a minimum of 257 rounds of ammunition, killing 20 and wounding as many others. So another 20. One of whom was pronounced brain dead upon arrival at the hospital and died the following day, which makes 21 people killed, 19 wounded. 17 of the victims were killed inside the restaurant and four in the immediate vicinity. Only 10 individuals inside the restaurant were uninjured out of, out, out of 45. How? Six of whom had hid inside the basement utility okay. room. Wow. That is just... That's got to be the ten luckiest freaking people in the world right nuts, there, dude. man. That is freaking nuts. But several victims had tried to stanch their own wounds and or the wounds of their companions with napkins. Yeah. Often in vain. Napkins ain't going to do you much good. Of the fatalities, 13 died from gunshot wounds to the head. Jeez. Seven from gunshots to the chest. And one victim, eight-month-old Carlos Reyes, from a single 9 millimeter gunshot to the back. The victims whose ages ranged from four months old to 74 Jeez, years old. So Carlos Reyes wasn't even the youngest no. killed. They were mostly Mexican or Mexican-American ancestry, reflecting local demographics. I mean, makes sense, right? Prior to shooting several victims, Huberty had uh, shouted accusations or insults 
On one occasion, he had also shouted that he himself did not deserve to live, but that he was taking care of this matter. Although Huberty had repeatedly shouted throughout his shooting spree that he had been a veteran of the Vietnam War, he had never, ever right. actually served in any military no, branch. So he's a guy. fake guy in his own mind making up shit. <sighs> Jeez, watched too many movies. Initial reports issued by San Diego Police Department following the massacre indicated that everyone injured or killed within the restaurant had been shot by Huberty in the initial minutes after he first entered the restaurant. False. Right. We all know that's... This claim was hotly disputed by survivors. They're like, no. Who stated Huberty had shot both wounded and unwounded people over 40 minutes after he first opened fire. He was in there for 77 minutes. Right. You think he was just in the first 10 minutes? That's all he opened fire? No. Right. The day after the San Ysidro McDonald's massacre, reporters visited James Huberty's father in Mount Eaton, Ohio, to garner further info about his son. Well, having discussed his son's childhood and the family's religious background, Earl Huberty pointed to a painting of a lost sheep by the Jordan River before beginning to weep, informing reporters, quote-unquote, yesterday was the worst day of my life. I feel so sorry for those people. Oh, jeez. McDonald's temporarily suspended all television and radio advertisements in the days following the massacre. In an act of solidarity, arch-rival fast food chain Burger King also temporarily suspended all forms of advertising. Look at that. Well, good on them, right? Right. Good for them. Huberty's body was cremated on 23rd of July, 1984. No official religious services was observed throughout this act. Nor should it be. Fuck him. His ashes were returned to his widow and later interred into his home state of Ohio. In the weeks following the massacre, Huberty's wife and daughters received numerous death threats, forcing them to temporarily reside with a family friend. All three would attend counseling sessions for over nine months. I mean, you don't... I mean, I'm how would you send sure. them the family death threats? Right, like, Jeez. what the hell they have to do with anything? Come on. Etna and her daughters initially relocated from San Ysidro to Chula Vista, Rosalia and Cassandra enrolled in school under assumed names. One year later, the family moved to the community of Spring Valley. Because of the sheer number of victims, local funeral homes had to use the San Ysidro Civic Center to hold wakes for each victim. The local parish, Mount Carmel Church, were forced to hold back-to-back -back funeral masses in order that each of the dead could be buried in a timely manner. Right. Right, so oh man, one funeral after another, bam, 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 get them done. Several police officers responded to the scene of the San Ysidro McDonald's massacre, suffered symptoms including sleep withdrawal. I bet loss of memory. I bet guilt in the nine months of the following incidents. I bet a lot of guilt. I, yeah, a study commissioned by the National Institute of Mental Health and conducted by the chief psychologist of the San Diego Police Department in 1985 concluded several officers suffered. Uh, P PTSD. Yeah, I bet. I mean, well, I mean, I guess we can get into it now. There's a documentary called 77 Minutes on this. It was released in like 2016 or something. Um, it's currently on Freebie, which is an Amazon. It was, I think it was IMDB, uh, channel. So just search Freebie as free. Obviously, it's called Freebie. But, uh, yeah. The, most graphic and craziest documentary of any murdering or anything because I've seen, obviously, everybody's watched Forensic Files and all that stuff. And this is the most graphic portrayal of the crime scene. They literally had a cameraman go in and just walk from, like, the front entrance to the back of the, the kitchen. And they're just, they're filming everybody that's dead with piles of blood just pools of blood just coming out of people's heads and wounds out of their face and you could just see you could see everything it's the, it's the most jeez oh, it's a it's crazy crazy what just happened in this restaurant terrible 
The San Ysidro McDonald's massacre prompted the city of San Diego to assess the tactical methods by which they responded to incidents of this nature and the firearms in the possession of respondent officers. Right. The police department increased training for special units and purchased more powerful firearms, right? Clearly. In order to better equip law enforcement to respond to this scenario of magnitude. I mean, come on. Man. Um, yeah, cause they're little, they're oh, little, uh, done. service pistols ain't gonna do nothing no. against Rugers and, no. um, um, Usies and shit. Right. According to one officer who confessed to having to felt inadequate because he had only been equipped with a 38 caliber revolver. He's like, that's all I had. Was a thirty-eight caliber revolver. Right. What am I supposed to do with that? He and says, how long? And right. I couldn't get near the scene because he's firing from everybody. My thirty-eight revolver is not going to do nothing from him from across the street. Right. He said the time has come where you had to have a full-time, committed, and dedicated, highly trained, well-equipped team to be able to respond to these uh, these these uh, scenarios rapidly anywhere in the city. He said. That's true. August second, San Diego Police Chief William Collender. Held a press conference to disclose the results of San Diego Police Department's inquiry into the response to the massacre. And the fact that uh, 73 minutes had elapsed between the time the first police officer arrived and uh, Huberty's death. 73 minutes. Well, he was in there for 77 minutes, right. though. Stupidity. The results of this internal inquiry found that although the arrival of SWAT team members was delayed by rush hour traffic, the police acted appropriately in their method of response. Did they, though? Right. Uh, appropriately when one of them was sent to a Ron McDonald's from the get-go. Right, dumb. Collender stated any suggestion police should have stormed the restaurant was ludicrous, as you were saying. That's ludicrous. Ludicrous. You didn't say it was ludicrous. They said You said they should have stormed the restaurant. Right, right. Uh, Adding that officers had been unable to obtain a clear view of the gunmen because windows had been, quote-unquote, spiderwebbed. Yeah, whatever. Which, no. They had been spiderwebbed by bullet holes, which, in the documentary, you could see, yeah, like the windows never shattered. All the holes are through them, and they're like right. like a windshield would right. be. Right. So they are true on that. Okay. I'll give them that. Making visibility and direct sunlight difficult. Okay. I'll give them that. I'll All give right. them that one. He also emphasized the eight-minute delay between the passing of the instruction authorizing all law enforcement personnel to kill Huberty. And that, should have been the, that should have been the first thing on the scene. Right. You see the gunman, you take him down. We're not we're not sitting here. Uh, that's, right. just, that's just stupid. Right. Collander finished his report by stating, I believe the operation was handled the way it should have been handled. Yeah, I mean, oh, you, yeah, don't, yeah I'm Everybody's sure he did. Stick up for the boys, aren't right. they? When requested in, yeah, right. When questioned in regards to the actual motive behind Huberty's murder spree, Colander dismissed any notion of racial motive. He said he he didn't like anybody. It wasn't racial, which we haven't seen anything that would point me to him being racist. And none of the victims said that he. Shouted any slurs or right, anything. He was right. just shooting I think, anybody. Dude. I think he just happened to be one bad building. The thing is, it happened in a town where majority of the residents right. are uh, right. Mexican. Right. Well, nobody knows. He just happened to be in that one McDonald's or that one place at the wrong time. Within two days of the massacre, the restaurant had been refurbished and renovated. Damn. So McDonald's was like, it took him two days to tear out everything and redo Damn. it. You know the owners of that. They ain't losing no damn money because they're well, Mexican themselves. But unfortunately for them, the restaurant planned to open again for business in the hope that, as one employee commented, the building would become, quote-unquote, just another McDonald's. Yeah. Well, following discussions between uh, community leaders and executives, a decision was reached on July 24th that the restaurant would not reopen. The renovated restaurant was demolished oh. at midnight on September 26th. So they spent they how let, many thousands of dollars they, renovating it in hopes of opening it? 
and the town was like, <laughs> right. the town they, was like, no. The town gave them all the permits and all that to renovate it, knowing. Right. <laughs> right. Wow. Well, I'm sure there was public outcry after that. Right. It was two days. It took two days to renovate the whole thing. They were ready to open for business two days later, dude. Following the closure and demolition of the restaurant, McDonald's donated the ground to the city with stipulation that no restaurant reconstruction upon this site. Oh, good for them. For yeah, four yeah years. you gotta right. you gotta you gotta dictate that. Right. If we're you're forcing us not to reopen here, you better not let another restaurant come. All right, and let it be an arcade. It's not a restaurant. They can't serve food though. <laughs> for over four years, alternate plans to convert the site into either a memorial park or a shrine to the dead were considered. The land was sold in February 1988 to Southwestern College for 136 thousand dollars, with the agreement that a 300 square foot area in front of the campus extension to the college intended to construct. Uh, I have a memorial with all the 21 victims. Yeah, so, right. I mean, that's a good stipulation. You're going to build here, you must have a memorial. All right. I would, I would agree with that. Well, on uh, McDonald's part, they later constructed another restaurant just two blocks from the site of the massacre. Um, the restaurant chain also announced a commitment to donate $1 million to a survivor's fund with the widow of McDonald's founder Ray Kroc also adding a personal contribution of 100000 to assist with burial costs. Financial aid for relatives of the deceased and counseling for survivors. Nice. The sum total of donations received by this fund would exceed $1.4 million. Okay. That's a lot of money in 84. Right. Admit, uh, amidst impromptu protests from some San Ysidro residents and donors, get this, Etna Huberty received the first payout from this fund. The wife of the killer well, received the first payout... From yeah, but, this fund. But she was hurt just as much. Ah, fuck that. Yeah, she didn't fuck know. Fuck that. Excuse my language. Everybody listen. We usually don't not say the, the F word too much. She been but the, fuck that. She should have been first like me. I'm not saying she shouldn't have gotten none, right. but the first that, payout? Yeah, right. Not the first. The first? No. Uh, is that not like a slap and an insult right. to all the victims? The, very, the first payout is the dude's wife? Right. The very first payout is boom. Yeah, that's fucked, dude. Yeah, that's rough. Dang. But yeah, she should have got something because she was no part of that shit. She was trying to stay alive herself. Well, I can go back to, hey, honey, you're walking out of the door saying I'm hunting humans with guns around your uh, shoulders, but I didn't call anybody. Yeah, but which, I mean, which, yeah, I mean, I guess you could have been like, okay, I'll sacrifice myself, but he would have just murdered you and the kids and went off and done the same. No, she didn't have to say anything. She could have let him walk out, and then immediately after he shut the door and wrote that in his car, could have called the police. Right. Then my husband right. is in driving this, this, his name is this, this. Right. He's He said he's going to hunt humans. Yeah, okay. But, yeah, then you got police. But unfortunately for her. But then you got police to search. But unfortunately for her, it was only 200 yards down the road. Right. So the police wouldn't have been there. Right. I mean, they would have been there maybe sooner. Maybe, I don't know, dude. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe they didn't have a phone in their house. Of course they had a phone. Right. A permanent memorial to those killed in San Ysidro McDonald's. Was formerly unveiled in 1990. Unveiled? Right. This memorial consists of 21 hexagonal white marble pillars, one to six feet tall, each bearing the name of a victim. The sculpture was designed by a former Southwestern College student named Roberto Valdez, who said of his inspiration for the design, the 21 hexagons represent each person that died, he said, and they are different heights, representing the varieties of ages and races of the people involved in the massacre. I like that. They are bonded together in hopes that the community... In a tragedy like this, that they'll stick together. Just like they did. Right. Just like these guys did. The monument is located 460 West San Ysidro Boulevard. Each anniversary of the McDonald's Massacre sees this monument decorated with flowers, as it should, 
On the three days people of Mexican heritage observe the Day of the Dead, candles and offerings are brought on behalf of the victims. Several family members of those killed, along with survivors of the massacre, filed lawsuits against McDonald's and the San Diego well, Police I mean, Department. What can you do with McDonald's? Really, come on. These suits were heard in the San Diego County Superior Court. We're about to see what they can do Maybe with the McDonald's. Maybe the police department. Maybe the police department. We're about to see what they can do with both. I don't know about McDonald's. All lawsuits were consolidated and later dismissed before trial on a defense motion for summary judgment. The plaintiffs appealed this ruling. Of course they would. July 25th, 1987, California Court of Appeal affirmed summary judgment for the defendants. Ruling McDonald's or any other business had no duty of care to protect patrons from an unforeseeable assault by a murderous madman. Which is true. And the implemented security measures typically used by restaurants to deter criminals, such as guards and closed-circuit television cameras, could not possibly have deterred the perpetrator, as he did not care about his own Survive. I mean, I, 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 as sad as it is, I wholeheartedly agree. You, you gotta, can't hold a restaurant. Right. You can't hold a restaurant, right. um, f- at fault for some madman walking right. in and start shooting people. You're basically you doing, can't. You're doing what the uh, what uh, Huberty did. He took everybody else at fault. Right. Well, I mean, basically, I right. Little extreme uh, comparison there, but yeah, I mean, you can't. How are you gonna force a restaurant? Or any place. It's like a mall. A, shoot, a shooting at the mall. You're going to hold the mall? Rely, or, I mean, it's just stupid. Shit happens. They can only have so many measurements. Right. And even even if you had so many measurements, somebody that's hell-bound, hell-bound on killing or they don't they have disregard for their own life, doesn't matter if there's right. uh, guards or no. TV cameras or anything, they're going to no. still do what the hell they're going to do. Whatever's in front of them is... is right. It's destruction. If you're able to get behind them without them knowing, then go for it, bud. Yeah, I hope, well, I hope you get there. Furthermore, the San Diego Police Department were also exonerated of any culpability or negligence with the appellate panel ruling. Well, they say, how do they get? Well, they say, in view of the sheer horror, in view of the sheer horror of the ordeal, it is difficult to imagine anything the police could have done or failed to do, which would have made the risk any greater than it to which the victims were exposed before uh, there, the police arrived. There, there could have been because when they responded to the call, they should have went to the right McDonald's, but. Records do show that only costs about four minutes. There's only two miles. Four there. minutes was. That's just right down the road. Four minutes is a long time. That's just ridiculous. But can it be proved that in that four minutes the police were dispatched the other way? Somebody got killed or could have been prevented? Maybe. Mm, doubtfully. Doubt it. In no, July of night. They just sat outside anyway, right. like they did anyhow. Like they did for 77 right. minutes or right. 73 minutes, Idiots. anyways. In July of 1986, old uh, Etna Huberty filed a lawsuit against both McDonald's and her husband's longtime former employer, Babcock and Wilcox. Why against McDonald's? Well, you'll see. This civil suit seeking $5 million in damages asserted her husband's murder spree had been triggered by a combination of a poor diet oh, and her geez. husband working around highly poisonous metals without adequate protection over the course of many years. Now, I mean, so now she's trying to she's trying to blame. I, could, I can maybe see the uh, welding company's lawsuit. Because if they weren't providing adequate uh, protection, right, then they could be at fault. But McDonald's? She had a stupid lawyer. It was like, we might be able to. We might be able to get McDonald's. We've been trying to get these bastards. When was the hot coffee case? Was uh, that in the nineties or this? Was it? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it could but, have been late eighties or ninety, but definitely yeah. But still, you're not going to blame any food restaurant of of no, you. They know they right. know you can bring a case like this and. They ain't going to trial or anything. They might they settle. Just, yeah, they'll settle when you get well. 
That's what they wanted. No, well, not here. The lawsuit specifically cited that no traces of either drugs nor alcohol had been discovered in Huberty's body after his autopsy, negating any possibility of his actions being influenced by either factor. Yeah, he didn't need to be on drugs or alcohol to be a freaking psycho, right. apparently. Right. No, Imagine just, if he was. And that the alleged acryl of high levels of lead and cadmium discovered in Huberty's body at his autopsy had most likely accumulated via ongoing exposure to fumes inhaled during 13 years he's been a welder mm. without sufficient respiratory protection by wow. Babcock and Wilcox. Wow, he was employed there, right? Which is claimed. And that a combination of Huberty's exposure to these chemicals with his ingesting high levels of monosodium glutamate in the staple McDonald's food uh, he had regularly consumed had in- induced delusions and an uncontrollable rage. <laughs> the McDonald's food was like the... <laughs> the McDonald's food was like the, the, uh, the catalyst that, that <laughs> triggered. It mixed It mixed with the cadmium and the um, <laughs> right. the lead. lead. And, this made and then it, it swirled around. It was like, I'm going to kill people now. Right. The lawsuit was rightfully dismissed in 1987. Yeah. Edna Huberty died of breast cancer in 2003. Ooh, that's too bad. She was old. Um, yeah, stupid lawsuit. I don't understand how she would even that's think dumb. she would uh, win that. Dumb. And her lawyers probably got thousands of dollars right. from her for losing. Yeah. Uh, nice. Survivor. Albert Leos later became a police officer. Nice. He, sur- he served in the several uh, police departments in the South Bay region of San Diego County. And uh, he later joined the San Diego Police Department. Good so, for him. Good for him. Fantastic. And unfortunately, this is the part where we must, and I think it's our duty to list the Hope casualties the right. and killed um, during this pretty messed up event. Right. And this is by uh, alphabetical order. Elsa Herlinda killed inside. These are all killed inside the restaurant. Elsa Herlinda Barboa Firo, age 19. Neva Denise Kane, age 22. Michelle Deanne Crancross, age 18. Maria Elena Calmanero Silva, age 19. Gloria Lopez Gonzalez, age 22. Blythe Reagan Herrera, age 31. Mateo Herrera, age 11. Paulino Aquino Lopez, who is a McDonald's employee, 21. Margarita Padilla, a McDonald's employee, age 18. Uh, Neva Denise Kane was also a uh, McDonald's employee. Right. Claudia Perez, age 9. Jose Ruben Lozano Perez, age 19. Carlos Reyes, eight, 8 months. Jackie Lynn Wright Reyes, 18. Victor Maximilian Rivera, 25. Eris Delcy Volvez Vargas, 31. Hugo Luis Vel- Velasquez, Vel- Vasquez, sorry, 45. Lawrence Herman Vers Luis, 62. Jeez, killed out res- Killed outside the restaurant. David Flores Delgado, which was 11. Omar Alonzo Hernandez, 11. Miguel Victoria Uloa, 74. Ida Vel- Velasquez Victoria, 69. Wow. And, of course, those injured, there was uh, 19 of those injured. Wow. Juan Acosta, 33. John Arnold, employee of McDonald's, 16. Anthony Atkins, 36. Astolfo Cuando, sorry if I got that wrong, 26. Same Joshua one. Coleman, 11. Guadalupe Del Rio, 24. Astolfo Felix, 31. There was two Astolfos, huh? Yeah. Carlita Felix, oh. four months old. 
Maricela Felix, 23 years old. Ronald Herrera, 33. Albert Leos, who was a uh, McDonald's employee and the guy that uh, became right. a cop later on, 17. Francisco Lopez, McDonald's employee, 22. Aurora Pena, 11. Amelda Perez, 15. Maria Rivera, 25. Myrea Rivera, 4 years old. Jeez. Keith Thomas, 12. Juan Tacano, 33. And Kenneth Villegas, who is a McDonald's employee, age 22. Mm. All wounded. Jeez, OP. Jeez. 1988 <clears throat> film, Bloody Wednesday, is loosely inspired by the San Ysidro McDonald's massacre. Directed by Mark Gillis. The film casted Raymond Elmendorf as the protagonist. It's only one film. So yeah, we got a couple books. And then, uh, like I was noting earlier, the 2006 documentary film 77 Minutes is uh, directed by Charlie Min, and he's, he does a good job on this documentary. It features, features interviews with the many individuals present, including the uh, um, Arnold that came a cop, and then the one uh, worker, if you remember, that the one girl grabbed her to run, but they shot the girl... But she's the one that hid in the um, downstairs. The future interview with her. Uh, a bunch of people that survived it. And uh, and plus the police and the SWAT guy that took him down. So good documentary if you want to go see it. It's on Freevee. Or, I mean, you could just go into Amazon Prime and search. Sure, it's a movie. You'll find it. 77 Minutes of 1984 San Diego McDonald's Massacre. Rough. <clears throat> rough shit. Hearing it. Described as rough, but I'm telling you guys, if you watch this documentary, you will be even more um, rough. Yeah, it'd be even more rough. <laughs> Damn, I hate doing these heavy ones because well, you better get used to the serial killer one. We didn't, we didn't. You guys know our show. We joke around a lot, and this one's not a. Uh, this one was not a. Um, an episode of joking. We might have had our smart little quips before the thing, but after the actual massacre massacre came, I you could see the tone change. I think and um, terrible shit. It is. It's terrible when just people. I just think of people hiding under booths, dude, and they're just sitting ducks, dude. Sitting ducks. You can't do anything. What are you gonna do? Nothing. Nothing. Ah, that's gonna do it for us on this episode. If you guys are interested in other history, you can go check out our other show called Battles of the American Civil War, where, unfortunately, a lot more blood is shed. Mm. And we are currently about three... Not so much graphic detail, though. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, not, not like this. But uh, we're about... I think we're in February of 1862, second year of the war, gearing up for some bloody, bloody, bloody. We are just about to approach Camp, uh, the Battle of uh, Camp Donaldson, which is... A very important A battle and lots of uh, significance for the Union Army here in this battle. So go check us out, Battles of the American Civil War, anywhere you find your podcast. And we'll be back next week for, I don't know, it's not time to discuss that. We'll see you next yeah. week. Um, go Seriously, go check out that 77 Minutes documentary, though. You you probably will regret it, but <laughs> it'll be... <laughs> You're glad you've seen it. It'll so, be worth, um, it'll be worth regretting. You're right. <laughs> uh, we'll be back next week. We're in the Mouth of Michiganders with Bang Dang.